Oh my God. What Did you kill a sperm? With all of these aspects we're touching on, pricing, value, positioning, framing, pitching, proposals, your, your part of the conversation is based on what the other party is saying. So again, that example I shared earlier of an interview with a prospect, if I'm asking them a question, they're responding, my entire role in that conversation is to better understand what their needs are and see if those are needs that I can satisfy and furthermore, understand what the value is to them in having those needs fulfilled. That's my friend Kai Davis talking about the role of active listening. This podcast episode is a different format. It's more of a conversation, less of a interview, less of a audio essay. I thought it would be super valuable for Kai and I to get together and sort of riff on active listening. I think this is important because to me, active listening is, is an absolutely foundational skill. It, I think it makes people better consultants, better salespeople, really just uh, better human beings. I think it's a skill you can develop, and I think it's a skill that enhances the bottom line of any professional services business. I'm Philip Morgan. This is the Consulting Pipeline podcast, where we talk about building your consulting pipeline through positioning, education-based content marketing, marketing automation, and today, active listening. Hey, Kai. Hey, Philip. How's your day going? It's going really well. How about you? Good. Um, I am, uh, well, I just finished repairing a toilet <laughs> in the middle of the day. That was my um, midday break. And now I'm excited to talk to you about uh, active listening. Um, this is a whole different format uh, from anything else I've done for the Consulting Pipeline podcast. Hopefully people will find it interesting. Um, I think so, because I know that you are one of the better active listeners that I know. Thank you. So we have prepared pretty minimally for this. This is not scripted or anything like that. We're just going to kind of talk through some ideas that we've sketched out on a Google Doc. Um, and we'll start now. So active listening. Uh, I think it's super important in consulting because essentially 80% uh, <laughs> of consulting is communication, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think the majority of that communication, at least early on, is should be listening, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, what's your definition, I guess, of active, active listening? I, I think active listening is when you're engaged in a conversation by first and foremost, listening and respond, not even responding, just listening to the other person talking and reacting to what they say with deeper questions, but not reacting by waiting for your chance to speak. I'd, I'd compare it to uh, uh, an eager dog who's always jumping up on you, that metaphor, the idea of somebody who's waiting for their turn to say the next thing that came into their mind and not even listening to you or somebody who's listening, thinking about what you're saying while you're saying it, being present, and then asking a question that pushes one or two levels deeper, furthering the conversation, uh, uh, almost like an engaged game of tennis. We're going back and forth, we're volleying back and forth, we're each taking turns, hearing what the other person has to say, and from there, it becomes deeper. I think that, <clears throat> I think that tennis analogy is pretty interesting. Um, I know that that 
that, you know, I, I practice active listening, uh, A, when I think it's important and B, as often as I can. But, you know, I catch myself uh, doing a kind of listening that's not, not that deep, right? And the way that I know that that's happening is I'm planning my next uh, question or move or, or thinking through my next comment while the other person is uh, finishing their their answer or their statement or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost like when you think about that tennis analogy, it's almost like you think you know what your next uh, play is even before they've returned the volley back to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, at least for me, that's how I know I'm not doing active listening is I am... You know, I'm uh, I, I'm further ahead in the conversation than I should be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I think there's an important point there where, if, if we if we want to continue using this metaphor of a game, be it tennis or something else, a experienced player will be looking at the current state of the game, observing how their opponent is moving and seeing how their opponent is say returning their volley but also thinking about the overall aspect of the game. What am I playing towards? Where do, where do I want this conversation to head? But staying in the moment and responding to the person as they speak, as they're sharing an idea. In the, the, the most, the most uh, uh, common example of active listening that comes to my mind is probably active listening when I'm interviewing a prospect for the first time who uh-huh. might want to work with me. Right. And so I have a general idea of where I want that conversation to go, the main points I want to hit on. But I'm using this time and space we're setting aside to ask them questions, hear what they have to say, and then we might go in a different direction depending on what they say. They might start off saying like, oh man, I have the biggest problem, it's with XYZ, and I want to follow up with that and learn more about what pain they're experiencing. But I still have in the back of my mind a general idea of what I'm playing towards or what we're talking towards in that conversation. But I'm using active listening as a skill to respond to them as they're speaking with the most appropriate question at that time. When, so when you've been in a conversation and you, and someone else that you're talking to is clearly doing this active listening thing, what is, what does it feel like to you to be on the receiving end of that versus maybe not when when it's just obvious that the other person not listening that deeply? It it feels empowering, warming and rewarding. Uh, Uh uh, Whenever I've, had a face-to-face conversation with somebody and they're very actively listening, it feels like they're putting me sort of in the spotlight or on stage. They're making it clear that they're setting this time and space, they're setting this arena to hear what I have to say, to engage in this conversation with me. And it makes me feel excited to continue having the conversation versus when somebody isn't engaging in active listening, they're uh, before the final word in the sentence is out of my mouth, they're already responding with the thing they thought of three sentences ago. And it's like, well, we went to a different place here. Mm. It, it it feels jarring. It feels like I exist as a uh, almost like a mannequin or a uh, piece of scenery and extra for them to talk at versus having a conversation with. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been in, you know, a situation where I just... I don't know. For for what I notice is sometimes people aren't returning uh, the volley in conversation quite the way I would expect. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, on the one hand, I'm like, well, maybe I'm expecting too much of others. But I've also noticed that uh, it, 
I don't know, it's either a skill that some people don't acquire or don't work on or, or maybe they just don't care. I'm not really sure, but you, you, I know for myself, I can really feel it when someone else is, uh, is just not really playing the game the same way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So here, here's something I think we should discuss. Um, active listening is great. Yes, it's a good skill. How does it connect to things like uh, the other things that come up in consulting, like discovering value, uh, having a sales conversation, pitching maybe uh, it, you know, an idea or an offer um, or setting price or just any, any of those number of things that come up all the time in consulting? Um, where, where do you see the connection or the tie-in to active listening? Sure. So, so broadly, overall, I think active listening plays into them as a bedrock foundational skill because with all of these aspects we're touching on, pricing, value, positioning, framing, pitching, proposals, your, your part of the conversation is based on what the other party is saying. So mm -hmm. again, that example I shared earlier of an interview with a prospect if I'm asking them a question, they're responding. My entire role in that conversation is to better understand what their needs are and see if those are needs that I can satisfy. And furthermore, understand what the value is to them in having those needs fulfilled. So they might come to me and say, we get no traffic to our website. It sucks. And I'm like, tell me, tell me more. Why, why is that a problem? Well, we want to make more sales. And by actively listening to what they're saying and using what they're saying as an opportunity to dive deeper into the conversation to uh, uh, both move the conversation forward in the direction that they're sharing and towards my ultimate goal, it's easier for me to identify the value to them, the problem that they're presenting. I, I always think of this canonical example in my mind of when I had a day job, my first project at the company was we need a new website. Kai, here's your budget, get us a new website. And I interviewed half a dozen web developers in Eugene. And one of them, one company took me out to lunch and spent the entire conversation telling me about how Drupal was better than WordPress and I was a fool if I picked WordPress to build my site. They never asked me any questions. They never yes. engaged with me. It was an opportunity for them to talk at me about their opinions rather than actively listening to what I had to say Mm -hmm. and using my responses to dive deeper into the pains I'm experiencing, the problems I have, and from there figure out, well, what's the value to Kai? What's a fair price? How do we propose this project back to him? You know, one of the things that um, that I just know is is a fear, because I have it sometimes myself, is, is this idea that... Um, if I if I'm not doing maybe the majority of the talking, it's going to look like I don't know what I'm talking about, or uh, it'll erode my uh, supposed authority or my expertise or the perception of those things or or what have you, right? Like that's mm -hmm. one thing that I feel a little bit of that. And you know, I'm an introvert. I uh, I do just have kind of a natural tendency to ask more questions than I than I do making proclamations or trying to express my viewpoint. Um, I mean, are there fears that come up for you when, when you think about maybe not driving the conversation quite so hard? <laughs> you, you know, know what I mean? I, I think that's a really, really great point. The a, a metaphor comes to mind. I dated a tango dancer for a few years and mm -hmm. early on in the relationship, 
I wanted to dance with her, but I was like, man, I don't, I don't know how to lead. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we can't ever dance. And she's like, no, 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 no. The skill here is as the follow, I get to set like the tone, the pace, the direction. I get to back lead the, the dance with you. And so we went to a wedding and she made me look impressive by her ability to lead the conversation as a follow. And I always think of active listening and asking questions as that same, same strategy that by choosing the questions we get to ask based on what the person we're talking with is saying, mm-hmm. being engaged with the, the conversation, but picking the right questions, we're able to almost be the more assertive one of the conversation and lead it in the right direction. So there definitely is that hesitancy and worry on my part of, well, am, am I engaged enough in the conversation? Am I sharing the right things? But time and time again, I found that when I enter into a conversation of somebody being a prospect, a friend, a colleague, and I spend the time asking questions, they come out of the conversation saying, that was a great conversation. I had so much fun talking with him because I got a chance to speak. And that if yeah. instead I take the time to just monologue as I'm doing right now, <laughs> there's there's less opportunity for them to speak and it feels like a less valuable conversation to them. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Uh, I mean, that's one of the classic uh, sort of truisms about communication is is we all love talking about ourselves right Mm -hmm. and the active listener is kind of taking the initiative to make that happen right Mm -hmm. by choosing to speak less and listen more and ask uh maybe more of the questions in the conversation they're taking the initiative to make that other person feel a certain way that kind of warmth that you talked about earlier right Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I think to uh, recent conversations I've had with prospects where I, I have a prospecting script I use, six questions I ask, and every single I talk about, every single time I talk of a prospect, I just go through these six questions. And I'm amazed at the amount of information I'm able to get out of a call when I really am just saying like six to eight sentences, like, tell me how I can help you. What's the biggest problem? <laughs> and then they're like, let me spew word vomit at you. Oh my God, everything's broken. I need help. And I'm just frantically typing saying there's so much value here. There's so much pain. I hope they have enough money to afford fixing all of this. Mm. I sometimes myself think if I get too far off script in a conversation, uh, I'm not going to know. I'm going to be adrift. <laughs> I'm not going to know what to say or where to take the conversation. Um does that happen to you? Sometimes it has happened to me, but I found that, by, again, by being the person asking the questions, I am or the, the listener you, you are always able to restore the conversation, put it back on the rails, so to speak, by saying, okay, great. Hey, I have another question. Let's move in this direction now. And it doesn't so much uh, throw the conversation off kilter if it's already going a little off base. Instead, by being the person asking the questions, I'm able to drive that flow and say, well, let's let's move over here. Let's focus on this thing. And for the person I'm talking to, they're excited because I'm asking another question. I'm listening to them and saying, okay, great. Like this has been a lot of great information. Hey, I have another question on a slightly different topic. Can you tell me about why you picked me to work with or why you wanted to have this call? And even if it's a bit of a jump thematically from what we were talking about before, I think the power is in the active listener or the questioner's hand to navigate the conversation back on track. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's, there's this tremendous uh, power. You really are steering when you're the, 
when when you when you're like I'll I'm asking the questions here, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know the old movie cliche. I'll 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 ask the questions here. Um, you know when you're in that situation, you're you're kind of you really are driving. Um, what what to you are the biggest mistakes that you've personally made with you know with listening or not listening enough or not actively listening? That's a good question. I think that. Biggest mistakes probably have been not doing it, have been uh, uh, not understanding the value in asking questions or in listening or being too set on going through questions I've prepared in a specific order and mm-hmm. not being able to go with the flow. Yeah. How about for you? You know, um, those, uh, let's see, I'm trying, I'm trying to think back. There have been some times when I just want to put my foot in my mouth because... Uh, I just, you know, I, I screwed something up. Um, I'm trying to think back to this one disastrous uh, client interview I had, which was uh, not too terribly long ago. And I just could, you know, from the perspective of like the interrogator, I just could not crack this this person. Uh, they just would not open up and sort of tell me their story. And um, I think the mistake that I made was not, like picking up on that signal. And so I remember I I asked this person, I I just sort of awkwardly tried to sort of throw them a curveball, I guess, Mm -hmm. to, I mean, one of the things that you do when you're interviewing people is you try to, you try to model the openness that you want to get back from them. Right. So, you know, I I was asking questions about some sort of business situation. Uh, I was preparing to write a case study and, um, ask this person to just like tell me about their family, just kind of a complete uh, needle jumping off the record moment, (laughs) you know, where it was like, what? And, you know, my heart was in the right place. I was trying to, to help this person open up and, you know, maybe just take the focus away from something where they were just giving me really short, just very terse answers. Um, and it just did not work because I think I pushed it too far. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure I've done that more than once. It's it's not something that happens a lot. But, um, you know, honestly, I don't know what the takeaway is. I, I, I guess as I'm talking through this, to me, the takeaway is sometimes it does not matter how good a job of, you know, asking questions or actively listening I do. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's okay to, you know, cut your losses and move on. So, uh, I mean, I don't really have a long list of mistakes, but man, does that ever stick out to me as like a really memorable time when, um, just nothing worked and I pushed it too far and it, it was, a, it was a mistake in retrospect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, thinking back to that conversation, that client interview, is there anything you think you, if you could, you would have changed in your approach or the questions you were asking or how you overall approach that conversation? In retrospect, 2020 hindsight, (laughs) um, I got to be honest, Kai, I just, I can't, I've I've racked my brains about this (laughs) ever since it's happened because it was just such a memorable experience of, uh, you know, an interview going off the rails. And I just, I've I've not come up with anything I could have done differently. I guess, well, here's one thing. I could have been 
not so confident in my own ability to, to pull it off. I mean, you know, I prepared, did my homework, but there's always, I don't know, there's always the, the question, well, maybe if I'd done a little more homework or, you know, communicated a little bit better with the, the person I was interviewing about like what the interview was about and, you know, helping them understand the context, maybe those things would have helped. Mm -hmm. Maybe they wouldn't have, uh, gosh, I, I don't know. Um, but I do know that for me, when I'm in a situation where I feel like it's my job to be the listener and the asker of good questions, um, if I feel like I'm uh, not doing great, I can kind of freeze up. And I, you know, I wonder if that happens to other people. Uh, I wonder if that explains, you know, half the awkward conversations I've ever had in my life where the other person kind of froze up or I froze up. But, uh, you know... When that happens, it really kind of saps the uh, the energy or the or the feeling that it's a natural conversation. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I, in my personal experience, I found that when I'm drawing on this entirely from like dating and from social activity and from some reading I've done on nonviolent communication, but when I find myself feeling that a conversation is awkward or we just don't have that vibe and suddenly I feel like I feel the cold sweat come on. Yeah. Uh, the scary thing to do, but a valuable thing to do has been just to acknowledge it and be like, you know, this conversation isn't going as good as I thought it would. But I'm, I'm sorry. I feel a bit awkward right now, but I just wanted to acknowledge that. And sometimes, I mean, it's a coin flip, but sometimes that breaks the ice and you both laugh and they're like, yeah, me, me, I feel that way too. <laughs> right. how, how, how can we, how can we recover this? The yeah. other side of the coin there is, I guess, something I haven't implemented, but I've thought about implementing is let's say I budgeted 45 minutes for a client interview or a prospect interview and 15 minutes into it, they aren't giving me information. They're giving me the brush off when I ask them a question. I'm like, well, tell me about your business. And they're like, we, we sell widgets. What's the biggest <laughs> problem? We can't yeah. sell enough widgets. And I'm like, being assertive enough and confident enough and valuing my time enough to say, you know what? I don't feel this conversation is going anywhere. I'm not sure if we're going to be a good fit. I think we should just end it here. Mm -hmm. Since if, if, if I spend 45 minutes on the phone with them and at the end I'm like, man, that was a shitty conversation. I've got nothing. I don't think we could do anything. Well, why did I spend 45 minutes on the phone with them? If I felt that in the first 15, why not just cut both of our losses and say, you know what? I don't think this is going to a good place. Let's just stop it right here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I think that the, the willingness to do that comes from listening deeply, mm -hmm. you know, not, not to try to bend everything back to that, to that central point, but really that's what you're doing, right? You're, you're, instead of listening to your own idea that this should be a great client engagement, this should go off without a hitch. You're actually listening to what's actually happening, which mm -hmm. is there's not that level of trust perhaps, or who knows, right? There's just not a prerequisite that needs to be there for it to be a good engagement. Mm -hmm. So really, I mean, you are listening <laughs> when mm -hmm. that happens. You're, you're just kind of keeping both ears open rather than just uh, one ear on the conversation and one ear on your idea of what it should be like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's very interesting. And I wonder how egotistical is it of us as consultants or us as people to assume every conversation we have is going to go perfectly? I, um, I think that 
that would be pretty egotistical. Um, I love that saying that says something to the effect of, you know, everybody's a fighting a battle you don't know anything about and, mm-hmm. and it's just not apparent in your interactions with them. And it, that probably applies a little bit more to strangers than it does to people who've paid you, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of dollars to help them. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it still applies. You know, people have bad days. Uh, they're not at the top of their game. Uh, they have bad weeks or months or mm-hmm. years even. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's, I wouldn't say it's egotistical on the face to assume that if the conversation goes badly, it must be the other person. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, you know, it's good to keep in mind that, that people have, people have off days, mm-hmm. <laughs> bad days for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we, we can never know what they were dealing with going into the conversation or what the context is. We're almost, we're orbiting through the universe and we're briefly passing by this other person and the conversation might not go well. And you could either actively listen, find a way to ask your way out of it, find a way to communicate your way out of it, or end the conversation. But I think fundamentally all of those come from understanding the tone and tremor in the conversation. And again, actively listening and figuring out, whoa, this isn't going where I thought it would. This isn't a conversation that needs to continue. Yeah, I mean, there's... to. What's emerging to me as we're talking about this is that there's a sort of underlying skill, which I really do think is a skill. It's not just a personality characteristic, which is the ability to be flexible, right? Mm -hmm. When you're actively listening, you're sort of flexible. You're open to changes in direction. You're willing to follow where the conversation is going rather than sticking to a script. And same thing that we're talking about here, it's this kind of meta skill of just being flexible, just saying, Mm -hmm. well, I mean, one, I'd add one option to the list you just gave, you know, which is maybe just reschedule the conversation, maybe just say, you know, use that suggestion of saying, normally these kickoff calls or these interviews uh, go a lot better. And I'm just wondering if it's maybe not a good time, maybe we should reschedule. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have some notes here about getting better at active listening. I mean, well, I mean, let's actually start with the question. Do you think it's a skill? Is, is it a talent you're born with? And if you don't have it, forget about it. Oh, oh, God, no. I think it's very much a skill that you could pick up by practicing it. It's, it's, it's less complex than being able to play chopsticks on the piano. It just takes time <laughs> thinking about it and observing how you interact with people and observing how other people interact with you. And first and foremost, a willingness, being able to say, I'm not the best communicator out there. There are ways I could become a better communicator. This is one of them. How do I become better at this skill? Yeah, like um, I, I think one of the keys to changing and improvement is like self-improvement is the willingness to believe that it could be better. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if there's any listeners who just feel like, nope, forget it. I've always been a bad listener. I would say the starting point is just to consider that maybe you could be better. Maybe you could be, a, you know, if you're terrible at it, maybe you could be a halfway decent listener. If you're halfway decent, maybe you could be an excellent listener. I'd, I'd even reframe it from being terrible at it to being untrained at it. Somebody who's never mm-hmm. taken a piano lesson before isn't terrible at the piano. They've never taken a piano lesson before. And right. they're starting out from that beginner state and beginner mindset. It's the same with a skill like this. It's saying, 
this is something I've never thought about before. This is something I've never practiced before. Um, let's see where, what, what can happen from this. Yeah. So one of the things that I, one of us wrote here in the notes, uh, and I have heard this advice from other places, but just the thing you can practice requires no equipment, uh, no, requires no special training, requires no, um, you know, expense. You don't have to buy a course. It's just to practice shutting up. <laughs> <laughs> I love that because it's so simple. Um, when, here's my take on it. When you, when you shut up in a conversation and, and not, obviously there's an element of timing involved in, you know, knowing when to shut up, but the obvious place to start shutting up is after you've asked a question, right? Mm -hmm. um, one of my tendencies is to feel like when I ask a question, I didn't get it right the first time. And so I kind of keep <laughs> trailing on with more and more qualifiers, more and more sort of explanation as to what I was asking. Mm -hmm. So I struggle with this too. Um, it's just so, it, it's so fundamental to ask the question and then shut your mouth, uh, sit on your hands, do whatever you have to do to uh, remind yourself to create that space for the other person to answer, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as long as you are talking or asking a question, they can't be responding. So when you shut up, a, it's giving them space to talk. B, people hate a vacuum and hate silence in a conversation. So if you just sit there quietly, they're going to start talking. That's, uh, <laughs> that reminds me of what I've heard about negotiation. Mm -hmm. you, know, you, you name your price or you name what you're asking for and then, and then there's immediately the level of tension in the room goes up, right? In a negotiation. Mm -hmm. Once you've named your price or made some demand, because then it's time for the other person to consider that. And sometimes it takes time and maybe they strategically lengthen the amount of time that they spend thinking about it. But it just, you know, at least for me, when I'm in that situation, the f whatever feeling of comfort I had is gone mm -hmm. as soon as I, you know, name a price or, or make a, you know, say we need to, for, for me to accept this offer, we need to do these things. And you're, you're told to shut up you're, so that, you know, your, your, uh, your requests can sink in. And so you don't sabotage yourself. And it's, I think it's the same thing with asking questions. If you mm -hmm. ask a question and then immediately, you know, if, or if you interrupt somebody while they're answering, you have kind of sabotaged the, the whole point of asking that question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's uncomfortable, right? Hugely, hugely. It's, it's, it's scary to shut up because, again, that idea of conversations of boring a vacuum, well, for you to shut up means you are willingly inviting that space into the conversation. And it's almost a game of chicken in a sense. I'm going to ask this question or you've responded and I want more, so I'm just going to sit here and wait. I have to be comfortable and confident enough with that silence to to communicate that, well, great, continue talking. How, how does somebody practice this, I wonder? You know, I've always advised friends who are going in for job interviews or negotiating their salary to grab a buddy and role play through the scenario themselves. So mm -hmm. taking it outside of a client interaction, taking it outside of a business interaction and saying, I need to get better at this skill. I want to practice 
this quality. And so grab a friend and say, hey, I want to practice doing this during a conversation, asking a question and then shutting up. Or once you respond, not immediately jumping in with my thoughts or a second question, just giving space for the other party to fulfill. So maybe it sounds like a weird request to them, but if they're a friend and you're saying, hey, give me 30 minutes of your time and I'll buy you a coffee for this, it's going to let you practice that skill and just start making those wagon uh, wagon trails in your mind, start putting a path in your mind that you could follow. So when you're in a conversation with a client and you know you need to sit back and shut up, it's easier for you to do so. You aren't practicing it for the first time. Yeah, I think that's good. Uh, even, you know, any kind of training eventually progresses to the, uh, in the military, it would be the live fire training, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Where the ammunition's real, um, the consequences, it's just much more like a real situation. And I'm trying to think how, how you graduate to that, um, you know, that sort of live fire situation where you could practice shutting up. I think... I think it, oh, go oh ahead. it's you. No, 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 you. No, it's, it's, it's your say, show. Uh, well, no, it, it's a conversation. Um, but I, I was going to say, I think the, you know, the, the sort of first live fire step is just to go into a conversation with the intention of, you know, creating a small delta between your normal behavior and the new behavior you're trying to create, right? So it's could be a conversation with, I, I would pick probably the most mundane, low stakes conversation there is. And, you know, your, your goal is very small. You just want to uh, allow yourself to feel that discomfort and suffer through it for five or 10 seconds. And then, you know, if you can't, handle it anymore you you let your normal behavior take over mm -hmm. this is obviously sort of uh i'm talking about someone who has a problem with with doing this some people won't have a problem with doing this and it's not something they even need to practice mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what do you think what do you think's the you know the the sort of first live fire training you would give yourself to practice this i think i think that you sort of fall or fail your way into it where you might have a concept in your head and you try it in a client conversation and it might be awkward but well sometimes as we covered earlier conversations with clients or prospects are awkward and so mm -hmm. i mean they aren't going to judge you they, they, they let's assume they're already paying you thousands of dollars to do something if you have a small faux pas in a conversation well it gets swept under the rug and you get that, you know, plus one experience of doing the thing and mm -hmm. that you can graduate to it pretty early and just accept that, well, I'm practicing a new thing here. Just like if I'm practicing a new language, my grammar might not be that great and my ability to shut up and just give them space to talk might not be that great, but I'm going to do it anyway and get better at it by doing it. Yeah, I think that's that's a really comforting thing to remember is that uh, if they knew that your intention was to get better at this critical skill, uh, I don't think anybody would, you know, criticize you for a momentary uh, faux pas or, you know, a mildly uncomfortable situation that you feel like you created. Mm -hmm. I, I remember back to right when I got started with consulting, I downloaded a list of like 20, 20 prospecting questions to ask in an interview. And mm -hmm. 
I sat down with one of my first prospects at the time and I was like, hey, you know what? I printed out a list of the questions I want to ask you. I'm just going to pull it out right now. Do you mind? And they're like, no, that sounds great. You're prepared. And I'm like, sweet. I don't have to remember <laughs> these questions myself. Yeah. And like something that might look a little awkward. Why, why is Kai reading these questions off of a sheet of paper? Well, it gave me the ability to have a better conversation. And chances are nobody you'd express that desire to or nobody you practice that skill on would be like, oh, gee, that's weird. I'm not going to work with you. They'll be like, oh, OK, uh, we had an awkward silence there. Let's move forward. Yeah, it's almost like um, that list of questions was almost like a prop mm -hmm. in, in a performance that you used to sort of make it more OK to 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 you know just to be practicing right? right yeah interesting i wonder if there's other props that <laughs> that people can use um yeah, maybe something will come to either one of us mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. practice repeating back what someone just said that's like one of the classical active listening pieces of guidance right is you should repeat back to somebody what they just said to make sure that you really understood what they're saying, you know, repeat it back in your own words. And that helps them know that you're listening and uh, you're checking for understanding is how I've heard it phrased. Mm -hmm. And um, actually, yeah, I think that that actually works. I do that a lot when I'm interviewing people, you know, I'll, I'll be like, so, you know, you're saying this and then I'll just kind of summarize what I heard them say previously. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even though it's kind of active listening 101, I think it's a good skill. I think it's a way that you can get better. Absolutely. It's, it's, I found a lot of success using a question, using a wrap up sentence like that being like, okay, so, so you're saying that the main problem you're running into is, uh, uh, you aren't closing enough sales, but you're, you're sending proposals out, but they're not being accepted. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And it's a great way to show that you a were listening and b give them space to elaborate on that and i love pairing that with a tell me more question so i might do a repeat back to them and then say okay great tell me a little more about that pain or problem and mm -hmm. so by summarizing it i've been able to focus they, they might have said 16 different things and i'm saying like okay it sounds like the main pain here is this thing is that right they say yes and i'm like tell me more about that thing so mm -hmm. i've ninja or judo the conversation into focusing on the one specific thing out of the list that they shared with me that I want to hear the most about. But to the person I'm engaged in the conversation with, it feels like, oh, wow, he was really listening. He picked up on that thing. He confirmed that's the thing I'm having the problems with. And now he wants me to talk more about that thing. This feels like Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's really interesting because sometimes you do have those conversations with clients where there's just so many things that they would like to uh, see get better, mm -hmm. right? And, and they kind of bring out that laundry list or that uh, bucket list of stuff they wish was better. And you're talking about a, a way to sort of cut through that and find, you know, by saying, is it this? And mm -hmm. they might say, yeah, that's the worst part of, you know, all those things I told you. That's the worst one. Or they might say, nah, it's not really that. It's more, and then they, they reveal some new information that helps you get clarity mm -hmm. about, you know, what's, what's the biggest uh, problem here that you could fix and then the others could be more easily fixed because the biggest problem was fixed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. 
I, I think back to a conversation I had a prospect uh, with a prospect just a few days ago where we were deep into talking about like the pains and problems they're experiencing in the organization. And I used this strategy and I'm like, okay, so like the number one thing we're trying to solve here is X. And he was like, uh, yeah, but management probably wants Y instead. And I'm like, mm. oh, that's good to know. Tell me yeah. more about what they're looking to see happen. And so where I, where I had interpreted what they were saying as we need help with strategy, they were like, yeah, but management doesn't want to pay for that. Management wants to pay for execution and implementation. I'm like, okay, great. What are we looking to, have to accomplish here? And so it was able to take what I thought were the problems and confirm it and then go a level deeper. And wrapping back to that idea of how these skills connect to pricing or value or framing or pitching, had I sent off a proposal saying X, that would have been like, that's not quite what we wanted. But by confirming X, by trying to confirm X and learning, oh, it's actually Y, and furthermore, it's Z, I had a much better idea of what to pitch and how it connected with what outcomes they were looking to achieve just by taking the time to say, I think you said X. Am I right? Yeah. You know, one of probably the most powerful things that I've learned over the last year is that any proposal should have uh, zero or fewer surprises in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, uh, having these sort of productized offerings, fixed price, fixed scope, where the proposal is maybe a sales page on your website, that's one way to have the zero or fewer surprises. The other way is to get a lot better at listening and asking questions and 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 doing exactly what you're talking about where you're you're periodically kind of checking your assumptions, right? Because we all, even when we're listening super critically and super closely, are are it's possible to make us make a wrong assumption to, mm -hmm. you know, for someone to say uh, morale problems and for us to hear something and interpret that in a certain way, but they mean it in a different way. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that, that little pause where you say, okay, so when you say morale problems, I, I think you mean, you know, people hate their job and they say, no, no, that's not it. It's, it's this other aspect of that larger mm -hmm. problem. People I love like, their job. Oh, no, you, you, you. Oh, I was going to say, I, uh, this is a little redundant with something I've said before in a podcast, but I, I just love asking why. Mm -hmm. I think that is such a powerful question for, you know, for a little three-letter word. It just unlocks so much from people. And I'm curious if, if you've, you know, seen that work the same way for you, where part of your listening is saying, okay, I hear you say this, but why do you think that is? Or what, what, what do you think causes that? Yeah, asking whys have always been a huge part of how I communicate with a client. They, they, I always hear uh, uh, it's probably an apocryphal statement, and I'm going to mangle it. But if you ask why for six times, some magic number, you get to the root of the pain. Where if they say start off saying like we want to get more traffic to our website, why is that? So we can make more sales. Why? So we could beat last year's earnings. Why do you want to do that? So I get a raise. Why do you want to do that? So I could buy a boat. There okay, you are. <laughs> great. Like, we, we hit a we hit like the dream here. Yeah. And we're able to focus on that. So by asking why you're just it, it's like that. Tell me more question. It's mm -hmm. giving them space to dive a little deeper, talk a little more about what they're experiencing and give you more valuable ammunition for your proposal. Yeah. Uh, I, I again, thinking back to that tennis analogy, you know, when someone sends the ball over the net, 
to your side of the court, you, you don't have to respond with an, a brand new question. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's not like this is your opportunity to prove how brilliant you are. In fact, uh, our mutual friend Jonathan Stark is really uh, great at this, and he kind of talks about um, suppressing your <laughs> desire to look smart and actually maybe just on, on purpose look a little less smart than you are. And you do that by sort of uh, pretending is not the right word, but sort of acting like you just don't get it and you ask a lot of why questions. Why do you want to do that? I don't understand. Wouldn't it be easier to do this other thing? And that, so, you know, again, when the conversational ball comes back to you, I think it's good to to not try to feel like you're trying to win a game, but actually you're you're just trying to get the most out of what they gave you that you possibly can. And I think that's really where those why questions come into their own. Is like you gave me this amount of information, but I want to get more out of that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to mine a little deeper into what you gave me with with some why questions. I, I had to add to that. If we continue with this game metaphor, is winning the game being the smartest person in the conversation, or getting valuable information from your client or your prospect that will let you put together a great proposal or satisfy their expectations on the project? You know, I got to say that um, that's something where personally I have to remind myself what my job is. My job is not necessarily to be the smartest person (laughs) or Mm -hmm. not to demonstrate that uh, by, you know, spiking the ball across the net. I know I'm mixing my metaphors with volleyball, but uh, it's not really to like show off. It's... um, I can maybe have much more power by not knowing the answers, but we're asking the right questions. Mm -hmm. I I can maybe be more instrumental in helping that client, you know, get what they really want. If I sort of put my ego in the backseat and, uh, you know, say, well, maybe, you know, maybe what I think it is is not really what it is. And maybe we need to ask some more questions here to find out what's really going on. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I agree. It's... Uh, it's not the purpose is not to have the most powerful uh, volleys across the net. It, it's it's more to I don't know. I mean, th- that's where the metaphor kind of breaks down. I think a new metaphor uh, uh, in that conversation. Are we trying to be prescriptive and tell them what needs to be done, or deductive and ask hmm. questions to learn about what needs to be accomplished? Right. Yep, and a little humility goes a long way when. Um, you know, when it comes to taking your assumptions and your ideas about what's going to work and kind of putting those on the back shelf for maybe just 45 minutes is all you have to do mm-hmm. in order to really go deeper and ask the right kind of questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But by asking those questions, you you learn so much more about what the client is looking to accomplish that it uh, uh, gives you that power to put together a great proposal or put together the outcome that they're looking for by, like you said, being humble by being able to say, oh, gee, like you might be the expert at X, but the client is talking with you to help them solve a painful problem in their business. They aren't coming to you for you to tell them all you know about X. It's an opportunity for you to learn more about what they're looking to accomplish. And then you're able to demonstrate how great you are at X by throwing the kitchen sink at them in terms of fulfillment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had one more note here um, because we probably just have time for one 
quick little thing before we wrap up. So it's, it is, it is said, <laughs> maybe this is a wives tale, I don't know, but, or, or urban legend, but it's said that the majority of communication happens through body language, like more than 50%. And, mm-hmm. and so those visual cues, which, you know, right now you and I are lacking because, you know, we're doing a, a Skype audio call mm-hmm. and I, uh, I'm often lacking that with my clients because, uh, they're all remote for the most part. Uh, 99% of my clients are remote. And so we do maybe a Skype video call, which is kind of a grainy, uh, not always high resolution version of their body language uh, and maybe just audio. So that said, uh, body language is important, right? And so there's, we can listen to more than just people's words. Um, I am... I don't know. I mean, I'm curious what your take is on that. I, I don't really have anything profound to say about it. I think I think it's huge. I, I especially like the concept of mirroring when it comes to body language. That mm-hmm. uh, if you take two people in a conversation, one is going to be reflecting how the other is engaging. So if you see somebody backing off and leaning back from a conversation, you might do the same yourself, or mm-hmm. you could urge somebody to better engage in the conversation by becoming more physically engaged in the conversation. So by altering your body language, you could change the tone of the conversation for the better or for the worse. Uh, There's a wonderful book, What Everybody is Saying. I can't remember the name of the author. I want to say it's James Cairo. He was an FBI investigator and he wrote two books on body language and a book on poker and body language. And absolutely fascinating reading just to see how so much of what we're saying is subtextual through how our hands are moving or how our bodies are expressing it during a conversation. And if you're meeting with a client or a prospect face-to-face, just being aware of how they're physically engaging with a conversation. Are they crossing their arms? Are they adopting a defensive gesture? Are they adopting a welcoming gesture? From there, you're able to better understand, well, are your questions hitting the mark? Are your questions off the mark? Are they enjoying what you're saying? Are they not enjoying what you're saying? And it lets you better listen and better respond to the direction the conversation is headed. Yeah, which I think that just plugs back into all the other points about active listening. You can just take that information about how things are going you can notice whether it matches uh, what's being said, right? Because sometimes the body language does not match what's being said. Mm-hmm. And um, and then just, you know, respond appropriately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. So uh, let's see. I'm looking at our doc here. You've got some resources for people, some things maybe that have helped you get better at active listening. Where, where would you point pe- people to, listeners, to you know, learn more about this or improve their step up their active listening game. I've got three things I'd recommend. The first is the book Spin Selling. And I, I completely forget who the author is, but we'll stick it in show notes. It's a wonderful book about a situation and problem analysis during the sales process. And uh-huh. while it's not directly focused on active listening, the entire point of the book is to get better at selling by getting better at understanding the situation, the problem, and the need that the customer has. Uh, another great resource is the book Pitch Anything by Oren Cloth, just talking about the social dynamics of pitching and presenting and the frames that people adopt, whether somebody's going into a conversation as the dominant person or a submissive person. Uh, uh, Pitch Anything is a book that 
it almost feels like a 300 or a 400 level college course on some of these concepts, but yeah. there's always a few bits that you're able to pull out and say, oh, gee, I see how I could apply this to my process of pitching or talking or communicating. Yeah, I've read that or listened to or uh, read that book aloud. And it, that's, I mean, it, it's totally active listening. I mean, part of it is how to manipulate the conversation um, subtly or overtly to mm -hmm. achieve what you want, which of course is useful for anyone who's trying to pitch or sell anything. But also it it is full of these really interesting insights into how to listen to not what's being said and, and not even the body language, but the power dynamics of a conversation, which is mm -hmm. a whole nother, like you said, it's that three or 400 level course on what goes on when two or more people are communicating. Um, there's a, there's a power dynamic that's happening and learning to listen to that is, is pretty huge also. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And for listeners, you might notice that you engage in a conversation with a prospect and you can almost sort them into two buckets. There's the people who show up and say, okay, great. I'm ready to start. What questions do you have for me? And there's people who show up and say, well, great. I'm ready to talk with you. Here are my questions for you. And that I'll use the word aggressiveness here, but it's not the right word that, that assertiveness, let's say in the conversation really is that frame that they're coming in with, whether they see you as somebody who's there to help them understand their problem or somebody who's there to receive their problem. And the concept in pitch anything of frames really connects to that idea of, well, how are you framing your questions? How are you framed as a person in the conversation? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, what else do you want to add? We, we've definitely, uh, hopefully held people's attention for about 45 or 50 minutes here. Uh, what, what else would you add by way of uh, closure here? And the final thing is I put together a couple resources for listeners. If they go to doubleyouraudience.com forward slash CPP, they could download a copy of the questions I use when I'm interviewing a client for a value-based proposal or even a fixed scope uh, productized consulting offering, nice. the phone and email scripts that I use for interviewing prospects, and a sample of different value-based proposals. So while it goes a little outside of the topic of active listening, I found that active listening and actively asking questions during a conversation leads to writing a better proposal. So these are three resources that I think people will find a lot of value in as they engage in asking more questions of prospects or of clients and writing value-based proposals. That's great. Kai, thank you for coming back on the show and uh, walking on the, uh, the high wire of an unscripted conversation with me. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. That's it for this episode of the Consulting Pipeline Podcast. Thanks again to my friend Kai Davis. You can find those resources Kai mentioned at doubleyouraudience.com slash CPP. Again, doubleyouraudience.com slash CPP. You can find more episodes of this podcast at consultingpipelinepodcast.com. I'm Philip Morgan, and I hope to see you again next time.